Welcome to the Two Hmong Boys Podcast, where your hosts, Chu and Meng, give our hottest takes on current events and Hmong topics. So join us each week and sit back, relax, and jai ipa. Welcome to our eighth and final episode of season one on Two Mom Boys. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. We are your hosts, Chu and Meng, and this will be our final episode for this first season. However, although we're wrapping up the season, that doesn't mean you guys won't be hearing from us. So make sure to continue to follow us on our Facebook page for some more content. On today's episode, with Father's Day around the corner, we're going to dedicate this entire episode to fathers. And so, Chu, with Father's Day coming up, what are you guys' plans? Oh, I don't really have much. It's funny you ask because my wife just asked me today what I wanted to do for Father's Day. I was like, damn, dude, I'm a simple man. Dude. I just want sex and maybe watch a movie with the family, with the kids and the uh, the kids and my wife. You know, that's it. So how long have you been married? Well, my oldest is 12. So I'm thinking we got married. We had him. So at least 13 years now. So if you've been married for 13 years you only get sex or you have to ask for sex on holidays? Is that how it works? Oh, dude, when you've been married this long, you got to get it when you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> but what are you doing, dude? I think I'm going to go back to Wisconsin, visit my parents and my family, and you know, just kind of hang out. We want it to grow, but it looks like there's going to be rain in the forecast. So we're just going to try to make the most of it. You know, I was thinking, because I'm divorced now, and so my daughter, it's just my daughter and I, and she probably doesn't know it's Father's Day, that it's a little bit unfair that Mother's Day is during the school year. So at school, they do a bunch of things for Mother's Day, but Father's Day is in the summer when school is over. So then our kids don't do anything for us from school. I can totally get on board of that because like, fuck, dude, I never used to care about it or it wasn't that big of a deal. And like, I didn't really notice it. But yeah, once the kids started school, I did notice that every Mother's Day, they make something for their mom. But every Father's Day, I get shit, you know? I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Or I was like, oh, yeah, they're out of school. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just to say, we fathers, we do appreciate getting things too. We just don't want to say it. So to all the mothers out there, get something for Father's Day for your husband or your fathers. Yeah, we definitely do get the shorter end of the stick. But before we get into our first segment, we did just want to wish all of our fathers, uncles, brothers, Yeez, and everybody else out there who acts as a father figure, a happy Father's Day. Thanks for all the things you guys do. So moving on into what we want to talk about today. First, just in general, we want to talk about Hmong, father and son relationships. And then we wanted to focus a little bit on one of the biggest challenges in these relationships, which is choosing between your own happiness or your father's. So let's start on the first one, Chu. Hmong, father and son relationships. If we're talking about Hmong, father and son relationships... Like when I think about my own dad, I feel like most of Hmong guys can kind of relate to this. For example, like there isn't really much of a relationship. There's no like uh, intimate bond or relationship. All of our conversations are usually about doing stuff. Like for example, hunting, fishing. Uh, hey, how's your job going? You know, stuff like that. We don't ever really get into anything emotional or anything deep. Like I don't ever remember a time my dad asked me about my girlfriends or like my wife or you know shit like that he probably just told you not to get them pregnant right <laughs> for sure dude <laughs> for sure <laughs> but you know Hmong, all Hmong people they don't believe in protection you know they believe in uh what is it called man? the pull-up method 
<laughs> yes, that's yes, yes. <laughs> dude, you know, mom and dad's be like, you know, your poor game needs to be strong as fuck, dude. <laughs> but you know, going back to real shit, you know, I feel like uh, mom father relationships are really challenging, you know, and I think the issue here is like we don't understand our dads, but at the same time, they don't understand us because. We're living in America now, you know. We're having American experiences, like searching for our identity, or like you know, trying to figure out what is it to be Hmong in this American society. And our dads, they never really had to deal with that because they know who they are. They're Hmong, you know. There's no two ways about it. They know exactly who they are. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty like fair and general statement to make. Is that you know most Hmong sons. We don't really have a relationship for father that's really two-way in the traditional sense that you think about like a two-way relationship where both people are actively involved in that relationship, you know, but rather I think it's more so like, you know, our fathers, they kind of just play these roles in our lives and it's very one-way roles in the, in the ways of how they see it. Generally speaking, I think there are four roles that most monk sons would agree that their father plays. The first role is a provider. The second role is an authority figure. The third role would be a teacher. And the fourth row would be an approver. And so starting with the first one on provider, I think a lot of Hmong fathers, having come to America, are the primary breadwinners for their families. You know, they generally are the ones who are going through the workforce, you know, when they first arrived here and are working fairly hard to make sure their family is financially supported. And, you know, I wouldn't just say like just here, but even in like Laos or Thailand, like I feel like they were the primary breadwinner. You know, they're trying to find work, you know, trying to provide for the family. But, you know, like in terms like, you know, for me, like it just shows me that my dad had a good work ethic. So, for example, like my dad, uh, like I remember like when we first came here. Yeah, we were like the typical Hmong family where we're, you know, living on like government assistance, like welfare, um, WIC and all that other shit, you know. But when my dad finally got into the workforce, you know, like I remember his first job was pretty much he was a janitor. And with that, you know, even like though he was a janitor, like on during the summers, we'll go like pick cucumbers, you know. Most people our age will remember it as Bimu Dia. For us kids, that was fun. But for our parents, mm-hmm. that was work, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we were probably, what, four or five then when that yeah. when they were doing that stuff. So yeah. we weren't helping. We were just out there to play. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like later on, like after he uh, got... Uh, released from his janitor uh, position, he uh, joined the uh, company life, you know. So, you know, Nungwuchong company, uh, and that's all he really did until, like, he finally went to SSI because, you know, his torn rotator cuff from when he was in the war started acting up and he couldn't work anymore, so they wouldn't let him work. And then he had to uh, apply for SSI. So now that's all he really does. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for my dad, the first job that I could remember, at least, I don't know if it's his first one or not, you know, he... He sold shoes at a company for that was I think that was owned by Hmong people. We definitely did do the cucumber garden thing as well. I got a lot of funny stories from that, but I think I'll save that for another time. <laughs> but you know, I, my my memory dad is like I just always remembered him working like all the time, and you know, eventually he you know he moved jobs and positions. But I do vividly remember my parents. They did uh, Jensen Gardens for a while, uh, many years there. And so in the spring to fall months, I never saw my dad. And actually, my mom worked second shift, so I never saw my mom either. But my dad would go to his day job. And then once he was done his day job, he'd go to the Jensen Gardens in the evenings. 
And then it wasn't until late at night that he'd come back. So, you know, we did that for many, many years. And then, you know, when he didn't have that in the winter times, my dad was always a person who would pick up any overtime shifts that he could. And I remember at my father's retirement party, he made a comment that just stuck with me and, and just kind of exemplified like his provider role that he took on for, for his relationship with us as kids and primarily with, with me and his father-son relationship is that he was talking about how he was leaving one company to try to go to another company. And the reason was because, you know, he wanted that other company paid more and he wanted to make some more money. And he was in like this interview with like four other people. He said, younger people, probably, you know, me got kids who could speak English. And they just kind of asked him like, Hey, why do you want this job? And he just basically said, Hey, I hear you guys pay well. And I have two daughters who are going to be co- going to college. And so I need to make more money. And, you know, he was just like, yeah. And then he got the job, you know, instead of the other four kids. And so I think that just goes to show like just how much of a provider role they really took on for, for the kids and for us. So the next one is authority figure. And this one, the way I think of it is more of a disciplinarian. And for our generation, that usually means getting our ass beaten. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all we really knew. Yeah, unfortunately, you're right. With my dad, you know, he didn't really beat us much. You know, he was pretty patient and, you know, he would start with, you know, being calm. And then if we don't listen, then he'd raise his voice and then he'd yell. And he really didn't beat us until like he was very like lividly mad. Mm. And I only distinctly remember two beatings in my life (laughs) related to my dad. The first one was not really a beating. And so this is when I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I had a, my best friend lived maybe three blocks away. And so I remember I went over to their house to play dodgeball and hang out. And I knew I shouldn't have been going there because my dad was very clear. had to some plot and leave the house and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so we were outside playing dodgeball and I saw his car drive by the road because they live in the main road to our house. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I got to run the fuck home. And I ran as fast as I could home. Went through the garage door, went through the back door, and I was too late. And my dad actually he didn't really beat me. This was discipline. He mokua Do you do you have you ever been like on your knees and arms out in front of him? Dude, I think that's the fucking classic one that most people <laughs> our age got. Like you either like uh my dad like went one step further. Like he put a freaking like um, Apples apples in your hands? Not no no no. He put a freaking like it's like like it's not a two by four, but you know, it's like a little stick. And he put it on the ground and we had to knee on top of that. Damn. <laughs> but yeah, so he did that in front of my sisters. And so I was just like, all right, whatever. But I didn't get hit. So I was like, that's uh-huh. good. I'm off. And then the second beating was probably the only time I think I can remember my dad physically hitting me like that. And so I was in about middle school at this point, And I went to a place uh, to hang out, rode our bikes with my friends, my cousins uh, and, and stuff to this place. and then left and went back to one of my cousin's house to stay over. My dad got home from work or from wherever and I wasn't home. He was pissed off. So he went to my other cousin's house and he's like, where's Meng? They're like, oh, I think he's at this place. If not, he might be at our other cousin's place. So my dad went to the place first. I was not there. Then my dad came to my cousin's place where I was at and I was planning to sleep over. I was planning like, oh, I'm here. I'm going to call my dad later. So I'm sleeping <laughs> over. My other cousins called me, dude, your dad's so fucking pissed, dude. You better be ready. <laughs> and so my dad came to my cousin's house. I went open the door. And I was going to be like, oh, hey, dad, I'm just going to stay over. Fucking pulls me by the ear into the car. Doesn't say a fucking word. Just pulls me by the ear into the car. In the car, was like, 
bitching at me the whole time. And like, he didn't hit me, like strike me, but like, it was like half-ass strike where he would put his like kind of fist to my head first and then just shove it, you know? Mm-hmm. So instead of like trying to punch you, it's just kind of like pushing you, you know? And then I went home and Mokutotsi again. And, but this time took out the belt in front of my sisters and was going at it on my, on my, <laughs> on my butt. And, <laughs> and I feel like he didn't like fully strike my butt. Like it was always like he struck the ground first and then let the momentum carry to my butt. So it's kind of like, I think, you know, cause like, I mean, if those were full on strikes, fuck, I wouldn't have survived that that night. And so I'm just like, dad, why do you, why do you always discipline me in front of my sisters? But it was probably like my sisters learned, you know, not to get to that extent with my dad through my beatings. So they should thank me uh, for that. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, of course it sucked to have to deal with that growing up. But, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of understood why he was doing that. I mean, I did ask him uh, the other day, you know, kind of to prep for the show. I talked to him a little bit about these beatings and what was going through his head. And, you know, he, he kind of admitted like, Hey, like they didn't really know any better. Um, because he said like, unlike you guys, you know, and it's just kind of how they were taught. And so he was like, yeah, I want, like, I felt like I needed to do that. respect So that you got some oligana. And so he's like, it's just like, and so, I mean, for me, I guess it worked out because I wouldn't say I grew up the rest of my childhood fearing my dad, but also just, I mean, it did help me keep me in line. And I guess that's kind of helped me get to where I am. So, mm-hmm. so thanks for the beatings, dad. <laughs> well, I mean, it worked out, you know, you turned out okay, you know, yeah. you're not that bad of a dude. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, oh, shit, dude. I got fucking stories about, if we're going to talk about beatings. I got fucking stories about that. <laughs> But I'm not gonna fucking. I don't want to talk about too many. But you it's know, okay. CPS can't go back and like <laughs> press charges on them. Like the statute of limitations. Now that we're at least we're more than like seven years above eighteen, they can't go press charges. So you're you're safe. <laughs> well, I mean, I, there's like two vivid memories I remember getting my ass beat. But I'll be honest, like my dad was always quick to temper because like like he didn't know any better. You know, like that's the only way he knew how to discipline us or get us in line. The resentment that I had when I was younger was all the beatings we got when we were kids. Like, that's the issue. Like, you know, like when we were kids, we don't, you don't know better. Like the one I remember, you know, it wasn't even me. You know, it was just my, my oldest brother, you know. And we were like fucking at the day D, you know. And then like us kids we were fucking around, like a bunch of us, like cousins and brothers and sisters and shit. You know, we ran down and then half of us ran into, uh, down into the ravine, you know, of the little stream. And then... Uh, we were running back up, and then the other half up there, they started throwing like rocks and uh, dirt clumps, you know, <laughs> at us, you know. And then, you know, one of the dirt clumps hit my little cousin, my little girl cousin, in the eye, and she got like a fucking Damn. like big ass black eye, you know. And she was crying, crying. Then we all came back to like the gathering spot, and then like uh, all the parents came back because you know there's all this ruckus with uh, my cousin crying and shit, you know. And I barely remember, like, my dad got so fucking mad, like, because my, my brother was the oldest one out of all of them, you know, like, and then my dad, like, grabbed the fucking, like, uh, you know, those um, plastic uh, chairs for kids, like, that were sold at the Hmong store. Mm-hmm. And he grabbed that, and he hit my brother 
like over the head with it. That's <laughs> remember it shattering to pieces. I'm like, oh shit, dude. What the fuck is going on here, you know? And like that scared the shit out of me. You know? like, I was like, oh my god, dude. Like it wasn't even his fault. <laughs> it wasn't even his fault because he was the one that was down there running up with him. Oh, okay. Who threw it? You know, I was like, what the fuck is going on here, you know? So, oh my god, dude, that one will always like stick out in my mind, you know, because I was like at least like four, five, or six at that time. Mm-hmm. So I remember like so vividly, you know. I mean, I laugh now just because we've we're past that, and you know, yeah. now we look back at humorous. But but by no ways am I condoning that. That's okay. Like now that like if we were to do that as kids or to see that now would not be cool, you know. Yeah, but I was, like the the other time I remember uh, a beating, you know, was like. I was already in middle school, so like by this time I was used to it, you know. And like this is also the time where like uh, he kind of stopped, you know, like hitting us or like uh, all of us, you know. But when we were younger, like my oldest got like my oldest brother got the worst of it, and then my second brother got he got the second worst of it, and I was the third in line. Even though I was the favorite son, like I still got some, you know. And by the time I was in uh, middle school, I was a teenager, so you know. Like, I was a good kid. I wasn't a bad kid. Like, you know, I got good grades. I wasn't into that gangster shit, you know. But because I had all this resentment about getting beat when I was younger, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, like like my dad would be like, wash the dishes, take out the garbage. And I'd be like, no. It's like my rebellious stage too, you know. And then like he'll beat, like I'll get beat sometimes. And I remember one time he hit me and then I raised my arm to block it. And he hit my arm, you know. And after that, he was like, Fuck, dude. So. <laughs> and then ever since then, he stopped hitting us, dude. <laughs> Stupid. No, no, but the truth is, like, um, like my mom, like, <laughs> no, the truth is, like, my mom, like, shamed him to stop hitting us because, like, we're fucking, you know, teenagers already, and my oldest brother was almost an adult already. And then he was hitting us, and my mom's like, you know, you know, they're almost fucking, like, men now. Why are you still hitting them? Like, you need to change. But, you know, to my dad's credit, he did change. Like, he stopped hitting us ever since then. My dad, um, like I said, he, he didn't really hit us much. He, he hit us when he felt like he had no other option. So he understood, you know, like, at least in this culture, that was not acceptable, but they just didn't know any other way. You know, ever since I was like 18, you know, I started thinking about my dad and like all these beings. Like, I'm not mad about it no more. I understand, not pass it. I can laugh about it, you know, or you yeah, know, I, I can understand it. And I'm not angry about it. Yeah. Cause I mean, to be honest, like, their way of getting us to do things was kind of through fear. I mean, that's what they knew. And when we think of our children, like, we don't want it to be through fear. We want it to be out of love and understanding that For they sure. listen to us. So I get it. Okay. Okay. Enough with the negative things that turn out positive. Let's go into something more positive. Let's talk about fathers as teachers. So generally speaking, you know, the father is the leader of the family. And for their sons, they kind of teach us the culture and the expectations of what it is to be a Hmong man and kind of give us a vision for like how we should grow up to be as a person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of these values, they can include the education, they can include culture, they include family. Uh, etc. The way I see my dad is I learned through his examples. He's not really good with words or like on lectures, but like 
through his examples, I learned how it is to be a man. So the most important thing I learned from my dad is how to love your wife or uh, like for example, like my dad, like I was saying earlier, like he beat the shit out of us kids, you know, but never once did I ever see him hit my mom. And my mom can uh, attest to it too. She always say like, uh, my dad has never hit her once. So like with that, you know, I can respect that. And I learned from that. And I hope that, you know, that's a good example for that I can set for my kids as well. So for me, I kind of learned through my dad, uh, both things he taught me verbally and also through example. And what I learned from him verbally is just the value of education. Like he, he pushed education really hard when we came to America because he saw and was taught, I guess, by other people that you needed an education in order to have a good job, good life. I'm the youngest son. And so he invested quite a bit in my education. So all of my siblings got to go to public school. And, you know, he put me into private school when I was a kid. Damn, and you know, for real? <laughs> I know. But, you know, I always wanted to go to public school because there were no more people who went to private school. And as I got older, I'm like, I want to talk to girls. All the girls are at a fucking public school, you know? <laughs> and so I did ask him, I think when I was going to high school, mm-hmm. if he would put me in public school. And he said no. And so I was just like, fuck, man. <laughs> I, was just, I was just so bummed, you know? But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, at, like, at least he supported me. Do you want to put me into private school? And and that really did plant a seed in my head that, you know, I really had to strive for higher education and and to have a really good education. The other thing that I learned from him uh, through example is just generosity. So my dad is what I consider to be a very generous person. And, you know, we, I, I saw him sacrifice a lot for us kids. You know, he, he never needed anything for himself. It was always about his kids. But even beyond that, I saw him loving people who were not his kids. Um, you know, my dad was, you know, my dad's a who, my, uh, my cousins, uh, other people. And so it really showed me that, you know, it shouldn't just be about loving yourself and your family, because that's the easy part. I feel like the, the test of your character is, is how you love other people who aren't as easy to love. And so I, I, I saw, and I learned that from my dad, but I guess, you know, those aside, I think one funny thing I do want to share. I don't know that's funny because I think my dad was serious about it. When you talk about sayings, one saying I vividly remember from my dad, it was when I was going through my divorce and my dad told me or was trying to teach me, he said, those are wise words, dude. <laughs> yeah. And so basically he's trying to teach me like, don't fuck up your life for one mm-hmm. woman. If it's to the point where you're going to be fucking up your life, don't do it. You know? So but you know i think with learning you know these are the some of the good things that we learn but i also think you know we also learned certain things that we didn't want to do that they did don't you think the way i think of it is like uh, most Hmong guys we understand and accept that our dads aren't perfect and they have flaws so like you know sometimes they will teach us something that's in my opinion is wrong for example like when i got married especially earlier in my um, uh, married life, you know, my dad be like, you know, you need to like shit like that. Like he want me to be more controlling on her. Like, for example, like don't let her play on her phone. I'm like, wait, what? Don't let her play on her phone. Like, why do I give a fuck about that? You know, like that's just her hobby. 
everyone's on their fucking phones nowadays, you know? They're, like, just human beings. Like, I want to play my phone. Like, she's not going to stop me. Like, why the fuck would I stop her? Like, it's not a big deal, you know? So, like, stuff like that, like, I'd be like, you know, I'd be like, okay, dad, okay, dad. But, you know, I won't actually, like, apply it and do it, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, I do understand that, you know, some some of his concepts of how um, men and women roles are, you know, like, it doesn't really apply to me or I don't believe in it. Yeah, I can hear you on that one. Like, I feel the same way. My dad never specifically told me certain things that I should have done or said to my ex-wife, but had he said those things, I would probably felt the same way. It's just... You just don't understand where we're coming from. And we want to have a different type of relationship than you and mom had. But for me, the things I learned that were bad through my dad was uh, learned through example. My dad, God bless his heart. You know, he worked really hard for all of us kids, but he really had no work-life balance. Like Mm -hmm. such a thing didn't exist for him. It was just always working. And so my mom worked second shift. And then if my dad was always gone working, I practically raised myself, you know, I was, you know, I was joking, like my sisters, my oldest sister, she was like my protector, my caretaker. And she was like my mother because, you know, both my parents were working, but she got married pretty young. And then after she got married pretty young, like nobody kind of took care of me. Like I always joked that my old two older sisters, you know, so I'm serious. And so I was just like, fuck. And no, so, no, 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 dude, dude, I gotta stop you, motherfucker, dude. This <laughs> motherfucker here, y'all. Kapo ka kalalu mohaya. That's you, motherfucker, dude. I have no clue what that means. Privilege so. and spoiled as hell, and then you think that you fucking did everything for yourself. All of a sudden, you wipe your own ass, you know, you fed yourself. Dude, that ain't how it worked, dude. Someone fucking dude, raised that's how your ass, dude. Uh uh-uh, uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> I grew up on frozen chicken ever since I was like in grade school because I knew how to put that shit because I knew how to put that shit in the microwave. Okay. So like at least my mom and my dad would go make sure that the freezer was stocked with that shit. And that's what I grew up on. And and my mom did teach me how to make rice pretty early on. So I knew how to put that shit in the microwave and I knew how to make rice. And and that's what I did for myself. I swear the banquet chicken in the freezer and uh-huh. then the sweet and sweet and spicy chicken from Aldi. That's what uh-huh. I grew up on, man. So you're saying that no one taught you how to do that shit. It's kind of like, you know, teach a man how to fish. And he, no, my, you know, my, my mom taught forever. me. My mom yeah, taught me exactly. that. That's I mean, they taught me to put this in the microwave. Yeah, mate, that's called tindu. <laughs> Motherfucker, dude. Okay. But when your sisters are cooking, and they only cook for your dad, and they don't cook for the rest of the family, after you've been growing up with your oldest sister cooking for the whole family, it's a very big disparity. And, like, I was still a kid at this point, you know? I was probably still, like, oh in grade God, school, dude. like, it's first and second first and second grade when my oldest sister got married. That was, like, the saddest day of my life was when my oldest sister got married. But because, like, my oldest sister, she was, like, my protector. So, yeah, so I'm not going to complain about them not being around and, and having to take care about my, of myself. Because I turned out okay, you know, I'm a little bit more independent. I know how to cook because I have to learn how to cook for myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I were to go back and be like, well, I don't want my kids to grow up like that. And I don't want to solely be a provider to my, my kids. I want to be a provider, but I also want to be more than a provider for them. I want to be a provider and I want to do more. And so I, I kind of learned that through seeing him be like very focused on being a provider and not being anything else. Mm. But I can definitely understand why your siblings hate you, dude. anyways let's go into the fourth kind of role that we were talking about and that was an approver 
And this one needs a little bit more explaining. Yeah. And, and by the by the approver, what we kind of mean is like our fathers, we're, we're always seeking their approval. You know, mm-hmm. we always want them to be proud of us, especially as a son. And so it's kind of like when you, we think about ourselves, like, am I doing the right thing to make dad happy? Am I doing the right thing to fulfill the obligations he has on me? Am I doing that? Going along with it, being the teacher is that they teach us how we should be behaving and then they are the ones who approve whether or not we are following that. You know, like we try to find a better word for it, but shit, dude, we can't find a word that describes accurately someone that, you know, you're always seeking for praise or seeking approval from, you know. But, you know, the best word we could think of was approver. So that's how we got that. So if I'm thinking about myself and my dad, you know, the way I remember it is, I was always my dad's favorite. And the reason why I was always my dad's favorite is because my mom had me. And then like uh, less than two years later, my mom had twins. She had her hands full. So my dad had to raise me because there was no one else. So I was tagging along with my dad and my dad spent a lot of time with me. So, you know, inherently, like he just loved me more or, you know, because he spent more time with me. But he wasn't doing that on purpose. It was just how it was. I just remember like the time like my dad was the most proud of me was like when uh, I was in high school and I got straight A's and stuff. And then he would brag to my uncles and then Damn, like, straight that, A's. You know, I was a straight A student and shit like that. But now, you know, nowadays, like my dad would be uh, really proud of me. I can like he doesn't say it, but you can tell, you know, because like, no, huh? Like my uncles or like my aunties, like they'll praise me, you know, because like, you know, I'll like, you know, so I'll do all that shit. And then like my uncles and them will be like really proud of me and shit. And my dad would just sit there and be like, yeah, that's my boy, you know. Like he won't say it, but you know, like uh-huh. you look at his face, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. Yeah. For me, the dynamic with this is like, there was a lot of pressure on me. Um, mm-hmm. I was my dad's youngest son. He only had two boys. And so he didn't have a lot of sons to get shit to, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't just that it was amongst our family too, with me and my cousins and everything. And I was one of the few that went to college. And mm-hmm. so there were a lot of expectations from both my dad and my uncles to be the one to carry on like my grandpa's name, you know, and his, his lineage and things like that. So, so there was just always this, you know, pressure on me to, to make them happy. And stuff like that. So that this whole approval role definitely stuck with me. But you know, I mean, you know, being raised in America, being the youngest son, you know, I I kind of also developed my own identity in terms of like, it's kind of about me too, you know. But if I'm gonna talk through a a story when I think my dad's most proud of me, I really don't know because like like I, I like that I can't I haven't heard my dad brag about me to people. I mean, obviously the graduation parties and stuff they threw for me and stuff like that. They're proud. But I think I talked to my dad about this mm-hmm. because I couldn't really pinpoint. It. And my dad said, uh, just at the end of the day, he's just proud of like where I am as a person, who I am as a person. And that, you know, he's proud that I can take care of myself. So my dad's saying like, you know, and so, so that's what he's most proud of, he said. Dude, you ain't deep enough, dude. 
Because you gotta fucking like move beyond words, dude. You gotta see in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> he's My dad hard. has the same <laughs> face no matter if he's sad, mad, happy, okay? You wanna talk about the eyes? You gotta okay. look deep into the eyes and see okay. into the soul. Okay, we'll talk about the eyes then. Let's talk about disappointments then because <laughs> we, we can't always make them happy, okay? For sure, dude. Right? And so with disappointments, oh, I totally saw what the eyes were doing. Uh, <laughs> I vividly remember I did well in school. So my dad had a lot of hopes for me to be a doctor. He always really pushing that because, you know, the whole doctor name, like, they feel so good about themselves, you know. It's all about face, dude. So I'm in high school. We finish high school. You know, you don't really care. You So I'm going to Madison. And you're like, yeah, I mean, you don't know nothing else, you know. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try to be a doctor. So take a bunch of science classes and things like that. And I did well in them, but I was never passionate about them. You know, I just did well in them because I just studied hard for those classes. And... I had a friend who was like, hmm, if you're not feeling that, why don't you try business? Like, you seem to have a personality that might like business. And so I started taking some business classes. I'm like, yeah, I do enjoy this stuff better. And so I went into freshman year as like a microbiology major, like pre-med, whatever. And then spring semester of freshman year, I'm like, I'm going to go into business school. And so I remember talking to my dad about this in person. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, dad, I'm changing my major. I'm not going to be a doctor. And talk about the eyes. This is like one of the two times I remember my dad ever crying <laughs> to me. Hell he was no, dude. the disappointment in his eyes of just like, what a waste of all my efforts <laughs> and my investment in Hell you no. and your private school education and working like two, three jobs, taking every overtime shift I can mm-hmm. for you to simply want to go into business. And at that point, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm my own man too. I'm not just going to do this and make you happy. And I, I held my ground. And and I was just like, you know what, dad, if it's about the money, I'm going to show you that I can make just as much money as these doctors can. If it's about the reputation, I'm already so turned off by the fact that you only think I will have a reputation and be accepted if I'm a doctor. Um, I told him that straight up. And so, you know, he just, just kind of let that go. And so I felt like that was my biggest disappointment to him. Yeah, that's fucked up, dude. <laughs> but I talked to him the other day and I asked him his biggest disappointment. You want to know what he said? What? I asked him about this and he said, no, actually, uh, that's I'm not disappointed in that at all anymore. Anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and he relayed that conversation back to me. He's like, okay, Tokama. I don't want to like put down doctors or like minimize the amount of effort it takes to become a doctor. But at that point, like it's just a measure of education, dad. Like if I want to go down this route, I can't, I can just, I can just keep going down schooling, but that's not where my heart is. And not all doctors are well-spoken people. There are, there are like the, the measure of your character as a person. So okay, doctor, not that doesn't automatically make you a good person. And you mm-hmm. a doctor, not that doesn't make you a bad person either. And so you got to take all this into consideration and being a good person, successful person is beyond just the education and the title you have. When I was talking to my dad the other day, he's like, you know, 
เนาะกูตุจมุซาเลยเจกูจิตุเชเลยในฮาลิกาเลยเฮียเนาะเตมอเตดอกเตอร์ลาเลยจิตุเชซอมอฮาลูตัดตินิงอ่าฮอมอเ
so for me, the biggest disappointment, so there was one of two. I knew it was either the doctor moment or it was the fact that my brother and I don't have big families oh. or really much of a family. So I, when I talked to my dad, he did say, or whatever. I mean, I have a daughter, um, but for him, having a daughter without a wife is not really a home. And it's so true, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what he has said, is just kind of like, and I understand him because for them, when they were growing up, like wealth to them was not measured in money because the cost of the money really didn't exist for them. And so wealth to them was, was your family and how big your family can be and in the way you pass down your family. And so I get all that, but at the same time, I'm not going to let that influence me anymore going back to this whole approver idea like as a monk son there is so much we want to do to make our parents happy especially our dads because that has been pounded into our head from day one and even though i still think i'm my own person I, and i do chase a lot of what makes me happy i still think about what makes him happy and when i got married initially i'm not going to blame it on my parents and say they forced me to marry because they didn't but the pressure of well you're 26, 27, you, you're educated, you're not going back to school, the last thing left for you to achieve is to have a wife and get married, you know, so that always sat in the back of my head like a seed. And, and so then when you hit certain uh, um, situations, you're like, well, okay, well, these things are implied, plus, it'll make my parents happy, you know, so so like that kind of influenced me to some extent in my decision uh, back then to get married, not to say I would go back and change anything, I don't regret anything that happened. But I just think going forward, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. And actually, too, I, I think I said, I remember two times when my dad cried. The first time was when I didn't want to be a doctor. And the second time, I do remember before I got married, him and I were talking. And he was talking about this me getting married because he was thinking about his own mortality. He, and he was saying like, you know, I was just like, but my sisters have kids and, and I get it. Like she sing Hong Um so for him, I get why that's so important to him. But yeah. So man, I can I definitely understand and I can definitely relate. This is the way I think of it is parents or OGs or dads, you know, you're not really an established man until Literally, it means that, you know, you have wife and kids, you know, and you have a home. But like to them, it means it's a lot more. It means a lot more. It means you have status. It means you have a stable life. You have a wife, kids, you know, you're like, So like, that's what is like probably the most important thing to most parents and especially Hmong men, because that's the only way they know how to be, you know? Yeah. And so like, I can understand like his disappointment and I definitely see it in my dad as well. And I feel like most dads could probably relate to that. Yeah. It, it doesn't help that my uncle has like three wives and <laughs> he's got tons of sons and they all have like two to three kids each. My uncle's got probably underneath him, a family tree of like a hundred plus people and his family's tree is pretty limited. So my older brother, if you're listening to this, can you please just get married and have some kids to make him happy so I don't have to do it? Dude, just have more kids. Don't even, like, fucking, like, get married, dude. Just spread your sea, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, true. let's talk about this dynamic a little bit more. Like, this making our 
fathers happy? Because I think this is one of the biggest challenges in the father-son relationship is this like struggle between my happiness or my father's happiness. Do I take care of myself or am I obligated to my, my father's happiness? And this dynamic is like probably the biggest dilemma amongst momika sons and their uh, fathers. Because like our fathers, they probably try to live for their parents, you know, or they try to please their uh, parents or make them happy. In America, like kids, you know, we're thinking about our own happiness, you know, because that's what, you know, society keeps telling us. So that's the biggest clash between our fathers and us is trying to understand this or trying to work through this. But for me personally, like, I'll be honest, like, I'm like one of those fucking more traditional guys, you know, or more conservative. So like my happiness does align mostly with my dad or my mom's happiness. So like a lot of stuff I do, you know, is to make them happy or to please them. But like to me, like it's not that big of a deal. Like my dad wants me to get or like you know, like I don't mind that. I want to learn tradition. I want to learn culture. So that aligns with my my happiness and my thought. So I don't mind that. But some of the stuff that doesn't align is like for example, when it comes to my wife, my kids' happiness, that conflicts with their happiness at times. And this is where it's important where we have to draw boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes your dad is receptive and sometimes he's not. And that's the issue. But, you know, bottom line, you have to draw that. Uh, you have to come to that understanding. You have to draw those boundaries. And then as men, you have to respect each other. Yeah, and I think boundaries is key because... Like the, the issue here is like sometimes we feel guilty. We feel guilt when we, we don't do things to make our parents happy. Definitely. And the only way to not feel guilt is is to identify what your boundaries are and to stick to it and, and say, you know, this is important to me. It may not be to dad, but I'm okay with it. When I don't do this for my dad, I'm not going to feel bad about myself. And I think it's important to do that because as I think about my dad's happiness and mine, like we are total opposites from kind of what you explained. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the happiness that I do chase is for my own happiness. And, and it deviates from being a traditional good son. For example, I live three hours away from home. You know, I'm the youngest son. You know, back to where they live and stuff like that. But I haven't signed up for that, you know. And just the fact that I didn't want to be a doctor, I broke away from what my dad's wishes were. You know, I kind of like, I'll get married when it's the right time. If it's the right time, like, don't get me wrong. I do think at the end of the day, I, I would want to be with somebody and have more kids, but I don't have a timeline for that. And so I've been pretty clear with my dad, you know, just having recent conversations with him, those boundaries that I have drawn up over the line has helped my dad move on from depending on that for his own happiness. And, you know, I talked about the doctor story because I was clear with my boundaries, I'm not going to be a doctor. Then that helped my dad to start thinking about how he can still be happy without having that. I live three hours away from home. You know, my dad will call me every now and then to go back and then more, you know, not. And I always tell the dad, you cannot call me on Friday and expect me to come back on Saturday because I already have plans and things. So if you want to do that, you need to call me a week ahead. So, you know, now, you know, my dad will call me early, you know, mm-hmm. to let me know these things are on the calendar when they're really important. And so I think you need to make sure you have those and not feel bad because, you know, we would be surprised by how understanding our parents might be relative to how we think they really are. And, you know, solving this issue is so hard because it's so personal. Everyone's relationship is different. 
and you have to determine your own boundaries, your own understanding. Yeah, and what I say is like there is actually no no right or wrong answer. Kind of what you said, it's a personal answer. So my kind of advice for how to navigate this is to figure out what makes you happy, and that should be influenced by what your parents make happy. But it shouldn't be influenced to the extent where you do something out of resentment for your parents. You do something you really don't want, you know. So figure that out for yourself. And when you do figure that out, then just just start thinking about how do you put in the right boundaries to be able to hold that. And I feel like the key here is communication. When we talk about communication, it sounds easy, but between uh, mom, fathers, and sons, that's probably like one of the hardest things that we could actually achieve. But you know, it doesn't mean that we stop and don't try. And like how Ming was saying earlier, like sometimes when you do try, you'd be surprised at, uh, at how receptive they are. Yeah, and that's what I'll say is. I'll encourage everybody to try to open those lines of communication because I did that for this show. And I think it's going to change the direction of my dad and my relationship because we did talk about more emotional things for this show. We did kind of have a dialogue instead of my dad just lecturing and telling me things. And so I, I do think I'm optimistic about like where we can continue that relationship. Next, we want to pay tribute to our fathers with some songs. And the sad thing is... There's not a lot of father songs, which kind of illustrates the lack of emotional relationship between fathers and their children. Yeah, and we did kind of mention that in our first segment. It's just that's just not how we have relationships with our fathers, and that's a big contrast from when we did our Mother's Day episode, where there are so many songs about mothers because we are just more emotional, I guess, with our mothers, and it's okay to talk about emotions with our mothers. So the father song that resonated with me the most was a song that uh, I listened to with my mom and dad when we went on road trips and stuff. And this song is called Lingzi by Mai Hyung. This song is like really deep and has a lot of deep meaning. But like if you don't understand Hmong that well, then you might not catch on. The first uh, lyric that I really like is I don't know, you know what that means? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask me. What, I mean, literally, is it not like, I don't know, his name has has known by 120 households? I don't know. Hmm. Like the way I interpret it is like your father's name or new shuan, like it can like withstand anything. Whenever there's any issues or any drama, you know they can deal with it just by their name and their their voice alone. Yeah. And then the one that's like the deepest to me was the uh, this lyric. You know. So pretty much, you know, like what she's saying is like, meaning that they can tell just by your dad's name alone, you can tell who your ancestors are, who your grandparents were. You know, so you have your lineage, you know, so your kids, your uh, the grandkids, you know, they know where they came from. So you know where you came from. So that was like really deep to me. I haven't heard that song before. Um, so I'll have to give that song a listen. So what about your song, Ming? 
My song is pretty basic. Um, it's Xiong Li's song, Gulu Nei. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a mom and dad song, but the parts where they're talking about his father and they're like totally resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of lyrics from that part that I really liked. You know, the one part that stood out to me was when he was talking about his father killing two cows for his kids uh, when he had his two sons. And to me, this was just like the ultimate expression uh, of a father's love as the provider. And, you know, while I don't have sons and, and we didn't kill a cow, that made me think about just like when I said I wanted to get married and I wanted to marry, you know, the person that I have been uh, talking with in Thailand. The only question he asked me was, yeah. And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't ask any more questions. And so he went into his provider role and just called up our relatives, um, distant relatives in Thailand, you know, uh, my ex-wife. And then honestly, I didn't do any fucking thing for my wedding. It was just basically like, show up on this day. We're all going to go there in this day. Like obviously a day that works for me uh, and, and them. And then like, they just took care of everything. And so, you know, my dad didn't even like, talk to me about the dowry didn't talk to me about anything he just kind of went into that like okay you know like i'm happy for you that you're getting married and he wants to get married and then just kind of ran with it you know ming are you sure his first question wasn't <laughs> no because i was old and he didn't fucking care whether or not what the circumstances <laughs> might have been uh he just cared to make sure i wanted to do it so i mean because him selfishly he's like about damn time fucking (laughs) piece of shit you know (laughs) and then the next thing that stood out was his lyrics when he's talking about his dad finding drugs you know he's like you know you know and when I was talking to my dad the other day, he told me this story about like, um, I don't remember, but he told me about the story about he, <laughs> do you remember in like middle school or did you ever do this where people would cut their jeans and then they would like basically make bell bottoms kind of out of it, or they'd try to make their jeans wider, like jinkles by putting like cutting the jeans up and then putting some like material in, in, in the inside of their jeans. Do you remember that at all? I remember huh? jinkles, but I don't remember people making fake jinkles. That's because you grew up in a small town with not a lot of home people. So, mm, and it, no, 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 fuck that, dude. I know Jenkos, but I wasn't about that life, dude. I was above that shit. <laughs> shit, whatever. Okay, so so it's basically a makeshift Jenko, but a lot of people do this for bell bottoms too. So it's basically do it yourself, Jenkos, do yourself bell bottoms. And my dad was like, "What is this? Like, who taught you how to do this? Like, why'd you do this?" And then like he's like, "You need to stop." And like basically kind of had the same conversation with me. It's just like, you know, like this is not going to be good and not be helpful for your lifelong term. And then in the back pocket of those jingles, he found Inasa. He, you know. he found Inasa, but he didn't, know what, he didn't know what it was. And I said, oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, then, and then the last part was, um, you know, kind of relates to this part where Sean goes and says, you know, uh, his dad says, and so when I also talked to my dad uh, the other day, you know, he's just like, you know, he's 
happy where we are in life. And now he feels like all the work he has done for us is validated because we're all responsible. We can take care of ourselves. Um, so now, you know, he did say now, you know, and so I was just like, damn, you know, that that's exactly like what this song is saying. So, you know, like I was talking about back in mother's day, I would try to express like, my emotions to my mom with songs, but I've never done that with my dad. And I think because we opened this dialogue up the other day to talk about uh, some of the stuff for the show, you know, I might just send that to him. Just be like, Hey dad, listen to this song and the things they say, like, I just want to say these same things to you. And I'm kind of curious, like how my dad would take that. He probably is not going to do like my mom, be like, hey, <laughs> but I'll send it to my dad. It's a good song, dude. I like it a lot. All right, Chu, let's wrap up this episode with some homely mommy and let's dish out some life advice. All right, let's do this. Anonymous writes, does anyone have children who you are disappointed with? Like children who are ungrateful or bullies other children or has no remorse when they do bad things to others? Can a child just be bad or evil? I'm not saying my children are that, but I'm just asking if there's a possibility that you, as a parent, have no control over the character of who your children will become, like children who do drugs or steal or rape or murder. Okay, let's be honest. <laughs> you could have at least said you were asking for a friend because you were <laughs> really asking for yourself, okay? So to me, of course you can control the character of your children. You just need to beat the evil and the bad out of them the way my dad beat me a lie out of me. Simple. It's really? simple. Real. It worked. All right. So we're going to go about this from an academic point of view. It's basically nature versus nurture. I believe most of this shit is nurture. Meaning that, you know, if your kid is bad or evil, that's mostly on you. You know, it's called, you know, disciplining your kid. It's called calling out your kids bullshit so you know you gotta put that some of that shit on yourself but you know at the same time i do understand that there are some kids are just pure evil but with nurture you can kind of dissuade them from becoming a serial killer or a rapist or murderer or whatever you know i disagree with that i think nature impacts personality i don't think evil and being good is a personality I think temperament Evil like, is a personality, dude. No, I, I think I think short temperedness, you know, inability uh-huh. to uh, think through, you know, thoughts in a positive way, like those are temperaments, and I think that is could be nurture, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean a person is evil. I mean, unless we're talking about the exorcist here, and we believe <laughs> people are born evil, I, which I don't believe. I don't believe that because if you go to racism. I believe children aren't inherently racist. It's a social construct in which they are taught. And so I, I just don't believe evil or good is a genetic trait. Man, I can understand that. But like, I think nowadays parents, they tend to cop out. Meaning that, you know, whenever your child is acting up or, you know, doing something stupid or crazy, you know, they always go to, oh, he has ADD or he has anxiety or he has some... Some some form of condition that excuses you from being a parent, you know, when you need to just deal with your fucking kid. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know that she's not necessarily blaming anything here, but just 
her point that you have no control over the character who children become. Nobody ever has any control over another person. That's not how things work. But you have great influence over the character of the children become. And, and I think this is just a cop-out to say, well, if I can't control my kids, then I'm just going to give up and trying to influence them to become a better person. Like children who do drugs or steal. Are you really saying the ability to steal and do drugs is a genetic trait that can't be changed out of person? That is a fucking lie. Now, some people may be born with addictions, and I, I know I, I'm not going to really get into it, but I do believe some addiction could be genetics that gives them a higher propensity to do drugs or to do other things that they're addicted to. But with the right nurture, you can work with that. So to just say, well, they're born with this affiliation or, well, they're born with this addiction, I'm just going to give up kind of what you said. Like, that's just a cop-out. That's just, that's just wrong. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, Anonymous, own up to being a parent and do better. Yeah, just fucking be a better parent. It's not that fucking hard. And if all else fails, just beat the bad and evil out of them. The way my dad beat the me a lie out of me. Yeah, but you have to tell them that if they tell on you to the teachers at school that people are going to come take them away. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to scare them to not narc on you either. And if they do narc, just beat them harder. Thanks everyone for listening to us during our first season. We appreciate all the support and feedback. Like and follow us on Facebook for more content and to stay updated on when we'll be back for season two. Until then, ciao. Cheers.